0: He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Hello, beautiful people. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with the wisdom, insights, empowerment, and liberation, providing a knowledge that is transforming and uh, inspiring, inspirational, all that other stuff, empowering, <laughs> illuminating. And we're inviting all of you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around us And as always, you're welcome to join us on this Illuminating Journey. There are several ways you can do so. If you would like to join us, um, you can do so by calling, primarily calling the number 347-237-5230. 347-237-5230. That's the number to call to get your thoughts, two cents, four cents, six cents a dollar in on the show. We are live. We are broadcasting live. You can follow us on all our social media. We are on Facebook, the Xeron Network on Facebook. Go there. Like that page if you haven't done so. And make sure that you listen to all archive shows. We're on every uh, podcast and internet outlet you can think of for radio. That includes uh, iHeart Radio. We're on there. Apple Radio, Apple Podcasts, iTunes and Spotify. We're all over the place. So you can follow us on all of that. And make sure you go to uh, my website, LorenzoTNeal.com. You can listen to archive shows there as well as on the Zero Network Facebook page and BlockTalkRadio.com slash Zero Today Radio. Go there, follow us on all of that. On Twitter, we are on Twitter at Zero Radio. That's the show handle at ZERA Radio. And my personal handle at Lorenzo T Neal. We got a, a great show. We're gonna try to get to today, and and um, it, it's already started off rough. It's already started off rough. Um, it, it's first. Let me. Uh, if you have not know, have not heard today, there was another nationally recognized mass shooting. There have been dozens uh this year but that there was one that happened this morning in the very exclusive part of california um san juan i believe that was and um hold on let me pull it up to make sure i get it right uh but anyway um nine people san jose so nine people lost their lives uh, nine transit employees in the San Jose Rail Yard today. That nine person does include the uh, shooter. And the shooter has been uh, recognized by police as a former employee of the rail yard. This, this shooting takes me back to the 80s and 90s when we had uh Postal workers going around, committing crimes like this among their own employees, I mean, fellow employees and co-workers. Um, And, you know, we coined the term going postal. Employee gets disgruntled, may get fired, may have an interaction, a negative interaction with another employee uh, manager or whoever. And you never know what was going to, if it set them off or not. And they would go and commit. Commit a heinous crime, and we coined it "going postal." And it's just unfortunate that this happened. It's unfortunate that these these um, shootings have been happening across the country. Um, more mass shootings this year than usual. More shootings this year than usual, and it, it's it's sad. Um, so uh, we want to send our condolences out to the families of those eight persons, and even the family of the perpetrator, uh, and the first responders, and um, the employees at that um, that rail yard, and the city of San Jose. This the, here, here's the thing that trauma does not just impact the victim's families. It impacts the entire city of San Jose. Uh, It impacts the entire state of California. It impacts the entire um, West Coast, it impacts the entire country. It is impacted. This think about this. San Jose is the technology hub for us. You got, you know, you got Google, you got Facebook, you got Twitter, you got, you got major investors, you know, and, and startup investors. All of that. You have what? Maybe about a million people in that area. And it's it's think about how this is Silicon Valley just think about Silicon Valley, and think about the, the the fiscal impact Silicon Valley has on the world. And to know that that has come that close to them, I know they're going to do something. I know these companies Google, Facebook, Twitter. I know they finna act up. <laughs> I know and y'all know I'm a gun violence prevention uh advocate. I'm part of every Everytown Survivor Network. I I I you know, I do advocacy for responsible gun ownership because I'm a gun owner. I do advocacy for um for uh common sense gun law legislation across the country. It, I'm an advocate for preventing Guns from getting in the hands of those who should not have it, including felons, including persons who are severely dis, uh, mentally dis, uh, or dis, disabled, or whatever you want to call it, and, you know, a, a whole lot of other people should have guns. You know, I already know these these companies, these tech companies, if they weren't vocal before... They're going to be vocal now. <laughs> this at their, this is at their door. And these same people who were, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about this later on as we observe the anniversary of George Floyd, death, murder, or whatever you want to call it. How vocal they were then and how much more vocal they are going to be now regarding this issue of gun violence. How much pressure are they going to put on Congress to act and make sure that they follow through with that now we this earlier this year, uh, the House of Representatives passed some very sweeping legislation and and again it's 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 good legislation, but it's it's legislation that's really not going to do much. you know it's more legislation to say that they did something than legislation to say that it is impacting right. But I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they did it. And that's that's all that I am going to say about that. You know, it is something very important that needs to be done. And I think they're going to do it. Now, if you would like to get involved with the action, if you're tired of seeing all of these shootings in your community, uh, NBC released a, an article earlier this year, I I know it was released in April, and I think they re-released it in May, a few weeks back, that says that it, it may seem like America is facing a new wave of gun violence in, or an increased wave of gun violence in 2021. That's because we are. The data is reflecting that. The data just from these first five months of 2021, oh, and. and Looking from 2020 to 2021 shows that gun violence has increased. It's on the rise. And it seems to just be going high. It's a pattern. It's a daily pattern. Let me find the article here and put it up. There have been 160 shootings from January 1st to April 26th. This is what the article said, which is, um, uh, and their shootings are, are mass shootings okay, mass shootings, that's that's what they're, they're talking about. They're not talking about just regular shootings. They're, they're talking about mass shootings. But if we observe just from our interaction, and even here in the state of Mississippi, in Jackson, we've had nearly um, half, uh, uh, I think we've got 55, 54, 55 murders, hum- gun, homicides by gun this year on record um and in smaller surrounding rural communities in the delta uh i i believe in greenwood mississippi there's there've been like uh nearly half a dozen just this year which is a spike in other smaller areas across the country gun violence is peaking right and it's it's We've got to address, let me get back to this article real quick before I get in, oh, overwhelmed. Um, so the, uh, a federal definition or a general definition of a mass shooting is uh, a shooting that involves four or more persons, okay, whether they're injured or or they suffer, uh, they succumb from the wounds. High-profile um mass shootings that capture the attention of the media, the national media, are usually ones that are carried out by non-people of color. That's the ones that they like to highlight because that's the ones, you know, remind them of Columbine and Aurora and all those other areas that, you know, that capture the, the minds of America, these hardened white young men carrying out these horrible crimes against humanity. Right. And they do not highlight, nor do they even bring to national attention most of the mass shootings that happen within urban communities. And that, you know, that that doesn't matter because nine times out of 10, those committed in urban communities are committed by black folk. I don't like saying people of color, but, but black folk. And so that doesn't fit the narrative of whatever the narrative they wanted to permit, promote. It, it doesn't fit it. And each time we see instances like this where the gun, you know, the report of gun violence increasing, they got they have to find something to connect it to. And basically what they're saying uh, is, well this increase in gun violence, we're seeing this increase in gun violence because we're seeing an increase in gun sales. Correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. We know last year, 2020, as, as people were told to shelter in place, people went and bought weapons, even those who ne- who said they never own a weapon, a gun in particular, never owned a gun, went and bought guns because they were like, well, if we're going to be inside... For this long time, I'm going to make sure my family and I are safe. There were people who were who would never have handled a gun. Going to gun ranges to learn how to handle a gun. <laughs> and I ain't going to lie, I purchased me another one last year, too. <laughs> I found a good deal of one. I went and got it. I don't, you know, it's just a little pea shooter. Yeah, you know, I'm not getting a, AR-15s or anything like that, you know. I shoot to disable, not to kill. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, that I can stop that person that may be trying to harm me or harm someone else I may be in the vicinity of. I'm one of those good guys with a gun. (laughs) At the same time, I advocate for uh, responsible gun ownership and gun violence prevention. Yeah, I know some people say, how can you do it? It's easy. I'm going to protect my house and myself. And I'm going to tell people, don't react negatively. Pull out a weapon and, and kill someone. You don't have to do that. You have a dispute. And this is the message I'm trying to get to young black men. Um, one of the options that I'm trying to permit, uh, present to our community here is, look, we need to help teach these young black men in particular, uh, full of angst, rage, aggression, all of this. We need to teach them how to divert that. How to how to invest that negative energy into something that can be positive. Boxing, martial arts, marching band. And that show take out the aggression. Anything, you know, and other areas, you know, invest in the arts, invest in the community in some way. Um, and so we're I'm working with a lot of other persons. We're trying to get that back into the city. And get this back into the community. And bring community, a sense of community, identity, connection to these young black men who somehow have access to weapons, who shouldn't have access to weapons. And I'm talking about teenagers, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, 17 year old 18-year-olds who aren't in the military. They're not in the National Guard. They should not have access to weapons. Uh, just learned recently... Uh, uh, acquaintance of mine relative who, uh her five-year-old son, got access to her gun and accidentally killed his own mother playing with the gun. This is the kind of gun violence that, you know, that does not make the news nationally. It may make local news and it will certainly pull on the heartstrings of people, but it is not enough of, to draw people to action. And that's what we're trying to get. That's what we need. We need people to act. We need, um, we need people to be able to say that I'm tired of this and I want, I want this gun violence to end. And when we do that, we can, we can really have what we need. So let me get back to the the story of San Jose. Um, It's tragic, and I know a lot of people are going to be moved by this because they're tired of gun violence happening at this scale. Nobody should lose their life because of one disgruntled person. Nobody should should do that, and we should get tired of. Hearing it, and if you are tired, I want to invite you to get involved. Don't just watch the news, be mad, and say it's somebody else's job to do it. But I want you to get involved. You need to get involved, and you can um, you can get involved uh, by joining every town. You know, simply. Uh, and as me being a survivor advocate for the every time survivor network one of my roles is to get people to get involved and and i i believe your voice is just as important as my voice when it comes to getting involved as and and not just talking about it not just watching it on news but getting involved i want you to Wherever you are right now, if you're watching, I want you to text right now. Join, text the word JOIN, J-O-I-N, to 64433. Text the word JOIN, J-O-I-N, 64433. You see it on the screen if you're watching live. You just heard it on the radio if you're watching. Even if you're streaming and you're in another country. I, I have a lot of listeners in South Africa. If you're listening in South Africa, you may not have uh, gun violence. Yeah, they got a lot of it down there, too. If you're Zulu and you're listening, you're still mourning the loss of your queen, your king, and the craziness of your new king, the regent, and all of that, hey, you can still get involved. We need your voice over here in America, too. Wherever you're listening from, I appreciate all my listeners across the world. I appreciate you so much. Anyway, but that's what you can do right now. Text join, J-O-I-N 64433. That's what you need to do. And um, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's going to help so much. But condolences goes out to the families of those victims, to the first responders, to the entire community of San Jose and uh silicon valley the bay area all of that yeah you know. but we must always remember that, that happened in the upscale of the upscale the wealthiest of the wealthy it happened in that place just go across the bay and it's happening in oakland go a little further down it's whole it's happening in stockton it's happening in constant it's happening in a smaller little towns across the country. It's happening big time in DC, Chicago, Atlanta, Birmingham, Miami, Charlotte, Little Rock, Oklahoma City, Louisville. We can go on and on. Ohio, Cincinnati, Columbus, Akron, Akron, however they say it. It's happening we can do something about it anyway that's my rant for for that and but please act if you don't mind take a quick break when we come back from the break we are going to talk about George Floyd and black America one year later so let's take this break we'll be right back You're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft a few documents that my have. Not only do they provide excellent legal services, but with their ID Shield. I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity debt protection. Did I mention to you, I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, that pretty much covers the plan itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield with all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. com, or telling you, you will be glad that you did. So if you're not aware, I am a very very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare and... It's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy, and I would strongly recommend you, if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have, and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. Uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine. Photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of, you can find it on Skillshare. So, and I'm telling you, you're gonna, you're gonna really love it. It's, it's worth every single moment, every single class, and you'll, you'll love it. You're great. Greatly enjoy it. Go check it out. Skillshare.com slash radio. zero today i am your humble host dr lorenzo neal thank you so much for thinking out robbery to tune in where are wherever you are listening you're listening by way of the facebook page zero network on facebook we thank you so much if you're listening by way of live radio across all the platforms we are on we thank you so much wherever you are listening and if you're watching live on facebook and if you're watching on youtube later on Wherever you are watching, we thank you so much. We thank you for what you're doing. I want to take this time. If you have not done so, go to LorenzoTNeal.com, look at the site, read the articles there, and buy a book. (laughs) Buy a book. Invite me to come do something for you. I don't know what I can do, but uh, you can invite me to do something. Uh, (laughs) Read my bio, you'll see what I can do. And uh, the various opportunities that I have available. And make sure you go to patreoncom dot slash lorenzo t Neil and become a patron for the Zero today show um for a little as a dollar a month. Your support helps do what i'm doing look i i'm I'm upgrading i I'm doing better than I was a year ago. ain't that some and next month would be uh the eleventh year that I've been doing the zero today radio show and I'm excited you know uh, I'm excited I've been doing it this long but anyway. Thank you guys so much. So let's get into the topic of the day. The one-year anniversary of the death, the murder of George Floyd has been observed. And before I get into this, it's also the 100-year anniversary of the Greenwood Community Massacre. We call it the Tulsa Riots of 1921 but it's the Greenwood Community Massacre where the white community members of Tulsa went into the uh, predominantly black community of Greenwood that was prosperous, that was called the Black Wall Street and they literally burned it down. And there are only, I think there's just one surviving member, person from that time who's alive today. Uh, she's over a hundred years old and she's been recognized this week we want to recognize the legacy of that community, and not just that community, but there are many other communities. There's the, there's the um, oh, my goodness, it escapes me right now, Bayou, M- Mound Bayou community in Mississippi that was a similar uh, way, Rose, Rosewood and um, many other, Elaine, Arkansas. We could go on and on and name these communities Harlem <laughs> when it was Harlem. These communities of black people that thrived, they thrived, and they were segregated, and they thrived. They didn't depend on the government. They didn't depend on white folk. They did what they needed to do for themselves, and they thrived, and they became a target. And I think we need that that, uh, mentality today, if you know what I'm talking about. So we have the 100-year anniversary of that Uh, Of that event and we have the one-year anniversary of George Floyd and the question I'm asking have black people fared better one year later and the question I'm I'm posing is not just um, recognized as as far as the uh, what some people will use the word oppression and I don't really think we're oppressed but the injustice I think is a better word the injustice, not just in policing, but economically, educationally, politically, and of course, when it comes to criminal justice. And um, it's no secret that I lean more toward the conservative end of things. I'm, I'm uh, center right when it comes to a lot of issues politically and socially. The one thing I can say is that the incident with George Floyd last year disrupted the entire framework of American identity altogether. It disrupted the entire framework of municipal policing across the country. And it inter- it disrupted the entire framework of the value of black men's lives. Uh, and that that That's loaded. That's that's loaded. So, no. How how have we fared now? Following George Floyd's death, those nearly nine minutes that uh, Derek Chauvin had his knee on that man, and you know, you watch the video and you see the those bystanders say, "Look, man, he's had enough. He's not moving. He's not breathing." yo, get them some help and to see the officers just standing there seemingly helpless and watch the show them just kinda have this look like, yeah, I'm in control. I got this. The imagery is 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 it is a part of our social consciousness now. Can't escape it. And to be followed. I mean, this is following the shooting of Ahmad uh, Aubrey, several other police-involved shootings that were um, highlighted by national media, and of course, Breonna Taylor, an incident that happened with her, followed by some other incidents uh, with a young man in Atlanta. I can't remember his name uh, who was uh, fleeing from officers when he was shot. Where well, he wasn't fleeing, he, he you know he basically brought harm upon himself. It, it, It introduced several questions that black men have been wrestling with for years, decades, including myself. When we tried to train our young black sons on how to interact with law enforcement because we've learned in some cases even when you're told to comply and you do comply, you can still lose your life and that life The officer who takes their life can still be seen as justified. It raised the question about qualified immunity for officers. It raised the question about uh, um, policing in a new way, particularly funding with the call for defunding the police and the, the expression of the rage that followed across the country, rioting, and in some places, rioting that is still continuing, that has nothing to do with George Floyd. But let's let's walk this back. George Floyd is killed. Immediately, the the entire country recognizes that this was a grave injustice. Even the late radio host, rush limbaugh questioned it and he had the conversation with the breakfast club as to why why did this happen i wish i had the clip to play to play but you can you go to youtube and google rush limbaugh and the breakfast club i'm quite sure you'll find the interview i listened to the interview when he uh when he played it on his program last year and i could hear i don't know if rush's sickness was bringing about this lamentation, you know, if, if he was aware of how close he was to death because of his illness, how, if that had any impact on his reaction and the seemingly empathy that he had as a result in response to this incident, I, I don't know. But it was just good to hear Russ Limbaugh for the one time, you know, on the side of the victim. And he, even now, even a year later, after the death, we still have uh, some conservative pundits. I just don't understand how they're trying to frame Floyd from his criminal history instead of framing him as the victim of police uh, brutality. You know, that's what it was. I, We know he had a record, and, and he was deemed ready, paroled, and on good on good and regular standing, to be able to do what he was doing. And, yes, we have to admit that he was high. The brother had enough in him. Uh, It does drugs in his system. And he also had COVID, uh, we later discovered. But those contributing factors did play a role in what got him in his predicament. Yes, we have to acknowledge that. That's the reality we don't neglect that you know we're trying some people are trying to celebrate him as a hero as a patron saint of criminal justice and law enforcement violence and all of that they're trying to paint him as that and i understand the argument and i also understand the counter argument but you know when you look at it holistically in its totality we know that yes he had a role to play in his death but should we highlight the role that he played in his death no you no, know, you know, it's not like he was, you know, he got high saying, no, I'm going to die today. No, that, and any person who puts it in that perspective, you know, your mind is warped. You know, any person who deals with individuals who have drug-related issues, issues will know that sometimes they make decisions that are not the best and not in their best interest, and because of that, you know, it could lead to their demise. We can fault them for this the disease of addiction. We can fault them for the decisions that we made, but we can't fault them for their death. And neither especially when it comes at the hands of another person that could have been prevented. Now Floyd had gotten if had died from intoxication of the drugs that he had, then it would have been a different thing. Um, I did not watch the trial. I didn't hear all the, you know, I heard several arguments post uh, you know, after the trial about, you know, the system the drugs in the system contributing to his death. COVID may have con- contributed to his death. Asphyxiation by me contributing to his death. Uh The the whole point is this officer, Derek Chauvin, and those officers who were with him on the scene, allowing him to do so, uh, are the reason he is dead. Okay? That's it. And for those conservative pundits who are still trying to appropriate George Floyd as a criminal, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to put him as a victim alone. But to see him in this one capacity, and I have empathy about how he died, you know, that that's me Get back in touch with humanity, man. That's what you need to do. And for the liberals, for those more progressive persons who are trying to hail him as some kind of hero, you got to remember, the man did have a criminal record. He did porn. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't going to lie, man. I saw that clip. I, I saw the clip. Don't y'all lie, and say y'all didn't see the clip too. I'm sure some of y'all probably saw that clip too. I think it was the Habib show. Or something like that. I, I if I gave him free publicity, my bad, y'all. But you know, he was he was not the best human being. Neither am I the best human being. Neither are you the best human being. But prior to that, his death, he was doing things that were trying to be that was positively impacting his community and that's what he needs to be recognized for and that's what he needs to be remembered for the fact that he was literally trying to do you know while he was in Houston he was trying to do things while he was in prison after he got out of prison and even leading up to his death he was still trying to do things that would be positive for his community and yes we should observe that we should recognize that but should we uh hail him for that no you know we don't want we don't want to do that. He's not a martyr for uh, social justice. Okay. Matter of fact, we sh- we should not have martyrs for social justice. It's sad that we do. It's sad that we we have Martin Luther King Jr. We sad that we have Malcolm X. It's sad that we have Robert Kennedy. It's sad for those uh, persons of the LGBT plus community. They had Harvey Milk you know it's sad that we have martyrs for this it, we shouldn't have it and i could go down the pantheon of, of names to other areas of social engagement where people you know suffer death that led to a greater cause being promoted and that's that's just it's sad how that exists but it shouldn't be and I'm hoping, I'm I'm hoping that we can get away from that. But anyway, back to um, George Floyd. What else did it do for him? I mean, not for him, but for this country. Uh, what? Let me, let me pull up some. Um, I had some notes that I really wanted, because I really want to be clear. I didn't want to ramble on this. I wanted to make sure I had clear points and um clear arguments that I can articulate and hopefully get some engagement from. Um, If you want to call, you can 347-237-5230 if you're listening live by way of whatever streaming listening platform you are. If you would like to, we gladly would do that. Uh, Anyway, so let's go back and address the rioting that happened. Not just there, but the rioting, this is the conditioning that I was disappointed by because after George Floyd, from that moment, every officer involved shooting. No matter where it happened in the country, even if the person did not die, as in the case of someone in Wisconsin, that person did not die, but they were rioting. And even up until, you know, even recently, just a few weeks back, we saw the young lady who was, uh, well, they weren't rioting, they were protesting, let me, let me be more specific. In some places, there was rioting, and by rioting, I'm defining that as the destruction of property. By protesting, I mean it, people got out in the streets, they yelled, they had their signs, and they did what they did. That's protesting, that's wonderful. But the destruction of property, be it either private or public, is unnecessary, uncalled for. And we saw this continually happening across the, the country. We saw the establishment of, in Seattle of an autonomous zone where it in itself had gun violence. We see, we see in Portland, we see in Portland and in this, even now, they're still rioting. And I don't understand why poor people in Portland are rioting. Not only do they have the advantage, the advantage of privilege, they ain't got nothing. To, <laughs> I, I just don't get it. You got a bunch of white rich people, or uh, I uh, me let me say not rich people, rich people, but more affluent people, okay, who are just and most of these are uh, Gen Z and uh, millennials who push young millennials. Younger millennials who are pushing this, and they're rioting just because they can. And they're, you know, it don't matter if they're antifa or anything else. They are rioting simply because they can. That's it. There is nothing, nothing opposing them. There is no intentional crime being committed against them. No oppression coming at them, and yet they're. They're doing all this. It it makes no sense to me. May make sense to them. Maybe I'm mistaken. You know, they're, I don't don't know. And, you know, and then we see not just the continuous rioting and uh, protesting, but this is the biggest thing that has really, uh, no, let me, I'm going to come to this later. The, the, Critical race theory. Arguments that have gone back and forth, so much so that the Southern Baptist Convention is initiating uh presenting a resolution in its convention uh coming up next month to address critical race theory and say that it is not relevant, is not uh Christian, is not something that they should address. And black folk just need to get over. And that's not what the language of the resolution says, but that's what it pretty much says. Black folk, y'all just need to fall in line. White folk, y'all just need to stop being so excitable. Let's get back to the old days. Like, go back to old days. We ain't talk about race. Them niggers, them colored folk, they stayed in their place. We stayed in ours. (laughs) If y'all didn't get that, that was me spitting. You know, like shoot. Never mind. It didn't make any sense. But so, critical race theory and the idea of white white guilt. This book, White Fragility, and I've read through it, and I it made me laugh. And I talked about this on another show, uh, not long ago. It's this idea of black people are unable to do for themselves. And because black people are so oppressed, so disenfranchised, and white people are so privileged, even if they don't have privilege or they don't recognize it, they're so privileged just because they're white, that we need to tear the entire system down. We need to deconstruct the whole identity. We need to basically go back to segregation. Let black people be in their own space, let white people be in their own space, because the interaction of the two will cause so so much chaos. We just need to, and white people are to blame for all of it. And you couple that with the 1519 Project uh, that it says that, yes, America was founded in 1776, but America was really founded when the first black folks came here, and uh they didn't come all of them didn't come as indentured servants. Can't hint the Carson. <laughs> no nah, I'm just kidding uh but this this idea of critical race theory and as a as a preacher who's been preaching black liberation. As long as I have been preaching since 12 years old, 16 years old, in my 20s, and even now in my 40s, black liberation, the theology associated with that, has always been a part of my preaching. And I know there are some black conservatives who are like, man, you should be preaching that. And I I was reflecting earlier on Dr., uh, Dr. Jeremiah Wright and how they just tore him apart in 2007, you know, because... Of one soundbite. Listen to the rest of his sermons, but that one side sound soundbite where he said "God damn America." And if you're on YouTube, this probably be demonetized, but that's all right. Uh, you know, and hey, they tore him a, tore him asunder because of that. And I think about the writings that I grew up reading. You know, not just James and um, Cecil Cohn, but um, so many others. You know. Uh, uh, Dr. Henry Mitchell, you know, the soul of black preaching and, um, well, man, I can name a whole lot of them whose influence uh, on on black preaching related and, 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 and brought the holistic experience of black America, including how they were, you know, we were disenfranchised from the church, in the church, in America. And so, yeah, there, there's a reality to that, and I do understand some. It, there are some Marxist undertones and overtones to to that, that. Hey, man, back in the '60s, that was a reality. We were we were trying to redefine us as community. You know, we were going through that process of integration and trying to find us as a community, and you know getting back to that yeah that that there were some there are some you know overtones of that but that's a part of black preaching because black people have always been community we've always been you know we're not communists when it comes to philosophy and like black lives matter used the idea of being trained marxists to promote this idea of intersectionality and we know as black folk intersectionality does not work for us you know, we, we cannot call for black action, collective action, and, you know, being actualized as a black people and include everybody else. We can't do that. We have to be ourselves. We have to be the community, black folk. We can't be black transgender. We can't be black LGBTs. All right. And I know there are people who identify that, but but when it comes to the table, and I said this on another show, so when the 1963 March on Washington, the groups who were there and the people who spoke, they, in all essence, as we understand today, were intersectional, but they knew they had one cause, right? That was the cause for jobs. That was the mark for jobs, right, if I understand it correctly, and economic integration, and independence, interdependence, however you want going to phrase it. And that's what it was was all about. That hasn't changed. And just because people identify in certain ways, we can't differentiate and delineate from the main cause as black folk because that means it's taking away from us as a community. And I know we don't like hearing that. I I, I know we we got to be accepting. But think about it. Black folk are the only one The only community that's been fully accepting of everybody else and nobody, those other communities have not been fully accepting of us. Think about that for a second. We've been fully accepting of everyone else. We love everybody. We welcome everybody. And those same communities do not reciprocate that same thing. So we can't be intersectional. But that's a whole different way. But anyway, the idea of critical race theory and how it's been, you know, you know, schools are starting to adopt it and white people, some white people are, are just mad because, you know, it's a, it's, it is what it is. And most of them don't even really understand it. They're just getting the talking points from conservative outlets that they are getting their talking points from and they're regurgitating that without truly exploring what it was, the history of it, you know. And when you go back and look at the history of the critical race theory from the 80s or 70s, to 80s, then you understand within that context and how it can be applicable to us today. And I'm not an advocate of it. You know, I'm not going to promote it, but I understand the contextualization of it. But I also know that black folk, we have our own efficacy. We don't need the efficacy of government or anything else. We have the own needs. They tell us to put us ourselves up by our own bootstrap, right? That's what they say we ought to do. Well, let us do it. Get out of our way, let us do it. Get out of our way. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. you' would like to just leave a comment uh wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, your however you know, leave a comment. I appreciate it. this last thing because I'm running out am running out of time. Defunding the police. The call to defund the police. And this has probably been the most deflated of all the uh, act calls to action post George Floyd's death. Instead of municipalities defunding the police. There have been some who have done that on paper. and Then violence increased. Crime increased. And they were like, well, we can't immediately defund the police, but we can shift some funds from the police to other organizations, uh, not organizations, but other means of management, you know. So we have, and, and look, being somewhat of a libertarian, you know, I'm thinking government should be infringing on anybody's, you know, rights, not just rights, but life. You know, I think people can do and communicate community, communities. Why am I not stumbling of it? Why am I doing all that? Communities can self-police. Communities can self-govern with little little, and minimal government involvement. I understand the role of government to be what it is, and there, there's a need for, for it to function in a way. But you remember now, policing in municipalities is a government agency. And if we say we need police, then we're saying we need welfare. (laughs) I know that's a bad argument. Uh, But in so many ways, that's how I like, matter of fact, I I, I said that because I heard there's this YouTuber named The Amazing Lucas. And um, I I listened to him and he made this comparison and I thought about it for a second. I'm like, yeah, that does make some sense, but uh, I probably, it's it's not the best analogy. But there's some, there's some, you know, correlation. Not much, but there's some correlation there. But for municipi- uh, municipalities are beginning to realize that they can reform policing. They can reform policing without defunding the police. The question, particularly in urban centers... Where violent crime seems to be increasing is like, I know gun violence is definitely increasing, but other violent crimes are increasing. The question is how do we adequately shift uh, funding to government programs or community programs that can serve as interventionist programs? Now I'm speaking particularly for black communities, and programs directed toward black men. And I talked about this earlier in, uh, in the program. Because a lot of the crimes that are being committed in urban centers are committed by black men. And in other areas where there's a, a, a broader concentration of brown people, we're seeing that also. Um And that's not just gun violence, but that's also gun, you know, suicides and all of that, domestic violence, um, armed robberies, burglaries, all of those things. Um, That's rising, partially because, you know, we were in sheltering in place. There was no way for us to go and nothing for a lot of young black men to do. And, you know, when they had access to a gun... They got in an argument, guess what they did? They shot. When they didn't have access to a gun and they didn't have anything else to do, guess what they did? They, They did whatever they did. They committed crimes. And so, we've got to address this delicate situation of criminal justice reform across the board. You know, what should it look like? What should Proper policing look like, and uh, Joe Biden, President Biden, has been in office now. And one of the things he campaigned on was complete uh, was police reform, and that stalled. That has stalled. The House is not acting on it. The Senate is definitely not acting on it. And local p- municipalities are caught in this. This. What do I do? What do we do if we? You know, we said we would defund the police. I think New York New York, cut their policing budget quite a bit, a billion. I think I, if I'm mistaken about that, y'all can correct me. But um, they're learning that we need this. And they're talking about demilitarizing the police. Well, the reason the militar, for the militarization of the police was because in the 90s, y'all politicians said we are going to... We're going to be tough on crime. That was from conservatives and liberals. They all said the same thing. We're going to be tough on crime. And tough on crime means we're going to make sure the police have the proper means of, you know, aggressively enforcing the law. And we know what happened as a result of that aggressive enforcement of the law. More black folk, black men got locked up. Families disrupted, you know, you know, tough sentencing laws for my crimes. Yeah, that's what happened. And here we are now, decades later, trying to reconcile that call to action with this new call to action of police reform, criminal justice reform. Conservatives are saying, let the police do what the police do. If they got to beat somebody up to do it, then let them beat somebody up to do it because they deserve to get beat up in the first place if they committed a crime. Even if that crime was petty shoplifting, they shouldn't have petty shoplifted. You know, that argument from some white people, conservative white people, and, well, just let me, let me not say white people. I'm just talking some people in general, black and white, who lean more toward the conservative, conservative side uh, of things. So we have, to get, we have got to think critically about how this is. We don't want to see another police officer kneeling on a black man's neck, kneeling on a white man's neck, kneeling on a brown man's neck, kneeling on a white lady's neck, kneeling on a black lady's neck. Nobody's neck should be kneeled on until they die. We don't want to see police officers mistaking a taser for a gun. We don't want to see police officers reacting 10 seconds out of, after getting out of their vehicles, letting off rounds and killing somebody. We don't want to see that. But at the same time, we understand that police officers have to react in a you know, blink of an eye. We understand that as more persons are are, are having serious mental health issues and coming in contact with law enforcement and those law enforcement officers are not properly trained to interact with these people and it leads to death, we understand we don't want to see that. I don't even want to see somebody being shot while running away from police. I have a brother who's a police officer. He's you know, He's been in incidents like that. And he didn't like that, having to be in an like that. So I know many others like him don't like that. We don't want to see that. And, but there's a lot that we can do that can take away from that. We can do it. We should do it. We can't do it. I don't have the answer. I'm not going to sit up here and try to tell you that I have the answer. I don't have the answer. But I, I do know that we can do it. Collectively, we can put our heads together and we can come up with something that will help our brothers and sisters, particularly our black brothers. We can come up with something that would help officers understand that we need them, we don't want them to go away, but at the same time, we don't want them to feel that if they do their job, there's a, there's a chance that if, as, because they did their job and someone's life is lost, even if, if it's justified that they will lose their job, their livelihood, we don't want that either. We have to find a delicate balance, and I know our politicians don't like dealing with the delicate balances of life. They just want to be a clear cut, but we know that's not how life is. Life is never black and white. It's more gray than anything else. look at your own life, as much as you don't want to compromise on things, you find yourself compromising on things, like Paul said in the scripture. There's some things I find myself doing that I don't want to do. Some things I find myself not doing that I want to do. Whoa to me. I feel like preaching. No. But there's so much. And I don't have time. I'm not going to spend two hours talking about this. I, I want you, those of you who are listening, those of you who are watching, wherever you're watching um, and listening, and feel free to leave comments. I appreciate the comments, all of that. And know that this is my opinion. I'm not a specialist. You know, my background is, is education. My background is preaching. My background is... Yes, it's, it's in rhetoric, <laughs> but I, I'm not a politician. I'm not a lawyer. And um, and I'm just, you know, this is just my observance. So we, we, we've got a lot to do. It's a challenge. I hope as we as a country, as we recognize this death, um, and not just this death, but as we go through the honors of history, of American terrorism. Y'all call what I said? American terrorism on black folk and people of color. Uh in the short time that America has existed as a country, we could we could see that there's a need. It's a deep need for healing, reconciliation, reparations. I said that too and so much more but anyway this is dr neil uh let me know what you think um again i appreciate you so much if you're watching on facebook or on the zero network leave a comment i love to read that comment and respond to it if you're watching on uh wherever you're watching if you're watching on youtube now make sure you leave a comment and um if you would like to I invite you to join uh, the Zero Network and go to Facebook and join the Zero Network. If you have questions that you want to uh, get to me, uh, however you want to, simply email uh, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail.com or specifically. Uh, more specifically, if you like to get information about the show, ZeramediaEnterprises Media Enterprises at gmail dot com. Z e r a Media Enterprises at gmail dot com. Um, invite you to I'm saying um whole lot. And if you haven't not done so, support the show. Go to patreon dot com slash Lorenzo T Neal and become a patron of the show. Help me do better because I'm trying to do better. You know what I mean. <laughs> God bless you all. God keep you all. Thank you so much for watching and listening. I appreciate you for everything that you are doing. We appreciate you so much. And you are having us change the world one day at a time. And I'm out. You guys, be blessed. <laughs>